Hey everybody, welcome to part two of episode 141. Now let's get back to the top 15 of our coaches' rankings. Okay, and we're back here uh, with the uh, Confederacy of Dunks ultimate coach rankings. We're reaching, we're reaching, we're ranking every damn coach in the league who's currently coaching. Obviously, they aren't currently coaching because of uh, COVID-19, coronavirus, but um, we're kind of doing this fun mental exercise uh, as a treat for us and hopefully for you as well. Uh, but before we get to coach number 15, um, our last coach, uh, actually, you know what? I'm just going to give a very quick rundown uh, for the folks who listened to the first episode. So uh, coming in uh, number 30 is uh, Mike Miller of the New York Knicks. Uh, number 29 is Jim Boylan of the Chicago Bulls. 28 is Ryan Saunders of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, 27 is Jacques Vaughn. Uh, I'm blanking out, guys. Where's Jacques Vaughn coaching right now? Brooklyn. Brooklyn, that's right. Sorry. Yeah, he, t- he <laughs> took over for Atkinson. Um, and then uh, uh, we got Luke Walton uh, coming in at 26, Sacramento Kings. J.B. Bickerstaff is uh, number 25, taking over uh, for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Lloyd Pierce is number 24, Atlanta Hawks. Uh, Monty Williams is the head coach of the Phoenix Suns, uh, 23rd. And 22nd is James Borrego, who's head coach of the Charlotte Hornets. 21st is the Orlando Magic, Steve Clifford. Um, 20th is Taylor Jenkins of the very impressive Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, the process number 19 is Brett Brown, 76ers. Scott Brooks coming in at number 18. He's currently coach- coaching the Washington Wizards, uh, known for their terrible defense. Um, Alvin Gentry is number 17, currently coaching the uh, New Orleans. Pelicans and uh, Frank Vogel uh, coming in at number 16 head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. And before we get to number 15, uh, McCready uh, yes. and, and Kevin Dows who are back with us. McCready, you had a, a fact you wanted to share about Frank Vogel. Yeah. Um, Frank Vogel was first on television in the eighth grade. Uh, he was featured on an episode of late night with David Letterman. What? Uh, doing a, yeah, doing a stupid human trick where he spun a basketball on a toothbrush while brushing his teeth. Oh. <laughs> and he was eight? Yeah. Sick. Oh, no, eighth grade. So he would be, I don't know, oh. like 12 or 13. Still impressive. Very impressive. Very I mean, impressive. it's impressive now. He should do it impre- yeah. all the time. He should really do this right now. <laughs> Frank? Hey, stop what you're doing and look up David Letterman on YouTube. See if you can find this clip. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty big. Um, okay, let's let's get going here on, uh, on 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 this bottom half of the list. This is the best coaches, so everyone's uh, at least a little bit good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's appropriate to start with who we're starting with. Um, I this guy has any range of opinions. Uh, most people know that I'm a stan of this gentleman. Uh, I do believe he was the uh, most important Raptors coach of all time. I guess that's arguable now. But give it up at home for number 15th overall, 27.4 out of 40. The Rock, Dwayne Casey. (laughs) Uh, I got to give him a lot of love. I'm obviously a Casey stan. People know that about me. 
um, most of my arguments with Casey are kind of, you know, uh, involving a lot of conjecture. Uh, although uh, Kevin actually had um, Casey ranked a bit higher than me. Uh, I, I think before I go to you, Kevin, and before I go to you, McCready, I'll just say as a Raptors fan, this guy came in and brought a professionalism that this franchise had never had. And, you know, pairing with DeRozan kind of set an example of, of hard work and winning and, and role definition and kind of put us into place to uh, take that next step, which we, we didn't really take with him. Uh, we took with Nick Nurse and uh, Kawhi, obviously, and Danny Green and uh, without DeRozan. And and Masai was obviously a big, big part of this whole thing. But but yeah, Casey is criticized for his, his uh, inability to uh, adapt in the playoffs. His, you know, uh, arguably bad X's and O's. And uh, I think, you know, nearly second to none development of players. But um, yeah, uh, I'll, Kevin, I'll throw to you because we all got a lot of opinions about Dwayne Casey. Well, I think in a lot of ways, 15 is appropriate for him because he's so middle of the road in so many ways. Like he's, as a culture coach, he's incredible. As a development coach, he's incredible. But he also, he gets in his own way so much. He's stubborn to a fault. Um, the X's and O's sometimes seemed really great and other times seemed like he just didn't care. And I think he was maybe just old fashioned in that way of like, I'm giving it to my star and I'm letting him cook. And that's probably why he, he was able to create such a strong culture here because he trusted his guys. And like, he was a very much a player's coach in that way. Um, you know, I think, I think we've obviously taken the next step with nurse, but without the personnel buying into that system, I could see nurse floundering in a lot of systems where cut, where players just tune out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I could, like that's obviously a hypothetical as well. Maybe he's maybe he is far more uh, able to talk to players than than I'm thinking because he was also part of Casey's staff in the first place. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, I I'm not sure if Casey would be the guy to take us all the way, even with like with everyone. I would have loved to see what he would do with Kawhi. Um, oh, my neighbors are out in the hallway. I don't know if you can hear them. Um, but. Okay, good. Uh, but yeah, I think I think you probably you probably summed it up pretty well, Freddie. It's like endlessly thankful to him, but also wondering what might have been. Yeah, uh, and I think you you know you you bring up the point where you know my head always lives. I think there's a lot of conjecture both ways, right? Like I think with Casey, it's like you know we couldn't win with Casey. But then also that doesn't factor in having Kawhi and Danny Green and a and a team that was basically like I, I would say like a massive upgrade as far as roster, um, and then also but it, you know it, it, that conjecture also goes the other way against Casey, uh, or sorry for Casey where it's where it's kind of like oh yeah well you know he would have coached Kawhi to a championship and Danny Green of course he would have. But at the same time, it's kind of like he wasn't there. He got fired. Um, and, you know, he didn't have that opportunity to do that with that player or those players, rather. Or and Gasol, you know. Uh, talk about dream guys for Casey is Danny Green, Gasol, and Kawhi. My God. But um, at the same time, he lost the I don't know. I feel like in Masai, uh, Casey or, would have uh, po- posted up. Uh, Gasol to an uncomfortable degree if he had. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think well, that would have harmed 
that's kind of where I'm at, though. It's like I think it's conjecture either way with Casey, right? Like we don't know what he would have done with Gasol. We don't know what he would have done with Danny and Kawhi. Um, you know, maybe he would have forced Kawhi to play and Kawhi would have protested and stopped playing. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe Kawhi would have been like, I like Casey and I'm staying in Toronto because of Casey. So I think, you know, there's a lot of just guesswork, right? But um, but there's also a lot of, like, evidence uh, that we have, right, of good and bad, lots of bad, right? Um, so, so McCready, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. Uh, I'll let you go with Casey. Like, where, where – how do you feel about him? I mean, you guys kind of nailed a lot of it, you know? So I don't really need to, to – like, uh, the, the positives especially you guys have nailed. I think, like, one thing for Casey is, you know – He's been in the playoffs six times, and he's been swept four times. Yeah, that's, that's not great. That's no, that's just straight up bad. Yeah, that's awful. That is like yeah, brutally bad. Really, yeah. I wonder. So, what are those sweeps? Is it Detroit? So the Us? last one in Detroit, two straight against Cleveland, and then um, again against uh, Washington, which was pretty indefensible at the time. Yeah, actually, uh, it's funny the Washington sweep was the absolute peak of me as a fan demanding to fire Casey. Cause like f- everything had come together for me anyways, in that season where, it, you know, he wasn't playing JV enough. In my opinion, he was, you know, not doing creative play calling and just letting Lou Williams take awful shots. Um, and then also our team kind of didn't have any fight and actually Lowry threw him under the bus. Uh, if you guys remember after that, uh, uh, Lowry would basically didn't give him any kind of confidence, and that's pretty rare for a player. But um, I yeah, was I shocked think, when Casey came back after that season. Me too, and I think that that actually he, I think that 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 Washington series was also the worst that he coached. Like I think he continued to kind of get better after that point. Although I, you know, better is negligible when you're when you're talking about some of these some of these coaches ahead of him and I think we've given Casey his due so unless anyone has any last words I'll move on to coach 14 uh, one last thing sure. uh, um, uh, Casey would be uh, cast as uh, in a Disney movie as a grandpa that loves to fish oh that's good yeah mm-hmm. yep pretty pretty mediocre uh, casting job by me this time but I'll do better next time I, yeah you know what I, I was like, also I like he has girlfriend's dad vibes like you're going, you're going to meet dad. your, oh, yeah. you're going to meet totally. your girlfriend on the first date. Yeah. Or what if he has like, I was going to say like, like a pilot that's like flying like a small plane, but like is like a bit irresponsible and like asleep at the wheel. <laughs> you know what, you know I, what I mean? Where, where it's like, I think I trust this guy. And then he's flying and you're like, our pilot's asleep. That, that is just you uh, conceptualizing how you felt after that wizard sweep for sure. Yeah, for sure. I had a lot of uh, kind of like issues to work through. Um, okay. Uh, n- number 14. Um, Maddie, would you give me that beautiful sting? Coming in at 27.8, the uh, scores are starting to get high. Out of 40, uh, very interesting coach because this year, I think, changed a lot. Um, Billy Donovan of the Oklahoma City Thunder. So I'll kind of start here. This guy, you know, I had to deal with Westbrook and all the things that come with Westbrook. And uh, I feel like I judged him pretty harshly. Usually my guard is up when someone's qualifications are that they are a good college coach. 
Because I think that that doesn't really jive well with the NBA. The players have way more agency. Their IQ is much stronger. And they they just don't do well with someone telling them what to do. They also make more money than the coach at that point. So that power dynamic is completely gone um, in college. And the, I just think that yeah, you can't boss around players. Like That's why Jim Boylan, to me, is a perfect example of how a coach who's good in college how that doesn't have any bearing whatsoever on the NBA. But, um, but yeah, Billy Donovan was a star college coach and he came in and congrats, buddy. Your, your first day on the job is you're dealing with Russell Westbrook, um, who is, can get you fired anytime he wants. And, and that was the reality of his job. And, you know, with the Chris Paul trade this year, it's been pretty remarkable. I, I think for me anyways, Nick Nurse was the runaway coach of the year for a little while. Until this past couple months, I kept kind of reminding myself what this guy Billy Donovan is doing in Oklahoma, you know, starting to push for home court in the West. It's insane. And it's actually the story of the year. And, and Billy Donovan's probably is a pretty good case for coach of the year. So McCready, I'll start with you. How do you feel about uh, Billy Donovan? But, and by the way, our, our scores, uh, you gave him 21. Uh, I gave him a 27 and Kevin gave him a 29. So we're, we're in the same ballpark. Wow. I kind of feel bad about giving him a lower score now. I don't really know where I was coming from. Maybe it was just a little sleepy. As I told uh, Freddie last night, I made my rankings, my final rankings at 2 a.m., uh yesterday i um, thank you <laughs> no problem um yeah um i'll just start with my weird fact about um billy donovan he was drafted in the third round of the nba draft by the utah jazz in 1987 um i did not know he was drafted at all into the nba um hmm. yeah i mean like uh his his job this i mean not only did he have to deal with westward he had to deal with carmelo anthony who was like um you know as washed as it gets uh trying to play minutes uh, trying to be a star still with a team. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, to defend Westbrook a little bit, because we've kind of all gone a little hard on him, uh, to say he tries to get his coach fired is, doesn't seem super fair. I mean, Brooks was there forever. Um, you know, uh, he, didn't, he didn't actually end up getting uh, Donovan fired. Um, it does, again, at, at the same time, doesn't seem like the easiest guy at all to coach. Um, yeah, sorry. That's actually just to clarify my point. I wasn't saying that Westbrook was trying to get him fired. I was just saying as far as like a superstar, he kind of was thrown into a situation where it's not like Westbrook was like, yeah, bring in my guy. Like Oklahoma was like, we're bringing in this guy. So I think it could have been like a, you know, like a Kyrie Steven scenario or something where the, the player is bigger than the coach. And they're just like, I, I don't respect you. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, like, you know, they, they, he hasn't done great in the playoffs. You know, he hasn't gone past the conference finals. Um, um, he's been eliminated in the, third, in the first round the last three years. I'd say if I had mm-hmm. to put money on it, he might get eliminated in the first round again this year, but I think that has way more to do with talent this year. Last year, um, his most important player, of all due respect to Westbrook, um, George needed double shoulder surgery by the time the playoffs rolled around, so he was not the player he had been throughout the regular season. Um, yeah, so, uh, I don't know. I don't, uh, I feel like he's, uh, I feel like he's done a really great job this year. And I think his, his willingness to play three point guards a lot of the time is forward thinking, um, relatively outside the box and honestly just playing the cards that he has. 
Um, the cards aren't uh, terrible. Um, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Danilo Gallinari is a really good complimentary piece of those three. Uh, Steven Adams is probably like the best guy you could put with those guys in terms of a guy who could just play defense, uh, move the ball around and be the ultimate teammate. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I like uh, I like I, I, I wish I, I ranked him higher. Fair. Um, but you know what? This is just a convention for us to talk about these guys. So no worries. Uh, I will um, I will publish these uh, rankings and nail them to the nearest church in my neighborhood, like Martin Luther. Um, and if people get the joke, cool. If not, you know, it's my own thing, right? But uh, not the most obscure reference. Get the joke, yeah. people. Yeah, <laughs> get the that's... joke. Yeah, I don't dress like Martin Luther, you know, as well. So, but um, Douse, what 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 do you got on our Billy Donovan? Uh, I th- I think he's uh, it's definitely a bit of the um, this season pulling pulling his ranking up, but he's also been one of those coaches where I feel like every year we've sort of looked at what he's got and be like, well, this should be interesting. Um, because right. it was like, okay, it's just Westbrook now. He's just going to go nuts. He's going to dominate the ball. Let's see what he can do. And I was like, oh, it's Westbrook and Paul George. I don't know how they're going to work together. Let's see how this goes. And now this year, I was thinking beforehand, it's like clearly the intention is to tank. Um, but if like if Chris Paul plays, um, you know, between him and Stephen Adams and like just some of the guys on the roster, even Shea, you could see it with. Um, with the Clippers the season before, it's like none of these guys are like ready to stop trying very hard. Um, you know, like Paul and uh, Chris Paul and and Stephen Adams especially are both like fundamentally sound players who will never quit and will listen to coaches. Mm-hmm. And so it was going to be interesting to see like, oh, I wonder if something fun can develop. And it's just gone so much better. Like I feel like Chris Paul's bought in. Uh, much more than anyone was expecting and playing some of the best basketball he has in years. Um, and so it's been cool to to kind of see, like, obviously, it's always a bit of a, of a balancing thing, right? Like, you need the players to buy in, and part of that is coaching, and part of, the, part of it is just the players deciding um, to do it also. Um, so you know, you know, you don't want to give it like a hundred percent to Donovan on this because I'm sure Paul is guiding the team to a certain degree too. But it's right. yeah, it's cool to see. Yeah, no, I I think though to your point, just I feel like the really finessey, intricate part of coaching ends up being player relations. And can you imagine what it would be like to coach a guy like Danilo Gallinari this year who's expecting to be traded the entire year, but also still playing hard for you and obviously for himself and his contract, but, you know, playing good team basketball, not just racking up. Like, you you know, Gallinari easily could have done what Kevin Love did this year, which is try and get some stats, mope around, demand a trade. And it actually made Love infinitely less tradable. And for a guy like, Donovan to keep Gallinari in the mix, you know, and and at one point Gallinari was like almost as good as a member of the Miami heat, but there was some contract stuff. So to keep him motivated as part of the team and kind of keep your young guys involved, obviously Chris is a big part of it, like you say, but um, yeah, I think, you know, I think he, he deserves some love. I think he's a good coach. Yeah. But uh, what you guys want to move on or you got anything else on, uh, on Donovan? One quick thing. I would love oh, yes. it uh, alternate reality if um, if uh, Chris Paul got to play an extended amount of years with Kyle Lowry. What an amazing backcourt that would be. That would be, be so fun. That, oh, okay, how is this for alternate reality? We got um, 
oh gosh, what's his name uh, from Fresh Prince? Big Bad Carlton. Wolf. Yeah, Big Bad Wolf. Um, <laughs> no, what's what's the actor's name from uh, who plays Carlton in Fresh oh, Prince? Um, Alfonso Ribeiro. Alfonso Ribeiro has been doing this this weird campaign where he's like, I'm Chris Paul. And Chris Paul's like, no, you're not. And it's always like, it's that, it's that weird style of NBA commercial where the NBA player is like, they're like just be cool. But the player comes across as like mean. Um, okay, great. But anyways, I think role reversal. Let's get Chris Paul in a full version of Fresh Prince. Like I, I want him to reenact an episode as Carlton. <laughs> yes. Okay. Anyways, that's that's what I wanted to yeah. say. Um, Maddie, uh, we're at number thirteen. Uh, would you give me that Adam Silver sting? Coming in at twenty-eight point four, um, we got the head coach of the Utah Jazz, um, who always looks like he's. Uh, like, you know, captaining a submarine and debating whether he needs to fire a missile at another submarine. <laughs> You're you know stealing I mean? my gimmick and you are nailing it. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you know what? That's that. my bad. You just got, McCready, you got me into the game. Um, and actually, I'm going to start with you here. So, so this is one of the only coaches that uh, you gave the, actually out of everyone who submitted, you gave a 32. Um, so Kevin gave a 29, I gave a 27, not super far off, but, um, yeah, you gave Snyder the highest score. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean the highest score out of you guys. Yes. Uh, not the highest score on my, uh, thing, uh, just to clarify, I mean, maybe that was a bit much. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I feel like he's, I just have a lot of respect for what he did last year. Where was the year before where he lost, uh, uh, Gordon Haywood and they got better. Yes, um, that was amazing. That was amazing. He he does such a good job developing players. I know Exum, uh, Dante Exum, uh, third or fourth overall pick. I never really became much, but he was just so uh, hit with injuries. I wonder what his career might might have been otherwise. Um, but like, I mean, his his uh, favors Gobert. Um, yeah, it seems like everyone kind of plays better with him. Although you can make the argument that Conley sure fallen off a cliff. Um, since then, but um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Mitchell obviously is an amazing example of him taking someone who wasn't even expected to be anything more than a role play- player in probably his career and making him into one of the best young players in the league. Uh, I don't know. I think he. I think he works really hard. He looks like he works really hard, huh. and um, yeah, I don't know. He, uh, he seems. Uh, you know, he was a finalist for the coach of the year in 2018. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think he's, uh, if, if he, if he got fired and, uh, the nurse left or whatever, and then we hired Quinn Snyder, I'd be like, deal. Good. Sick. Good about yeah. 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 You know, like, um, I'd be like, okay, I trust this guy. Where are you at on Quinn Snyder? Uh, Kevin? Yeah, I agree with everything Matt just said. It's, uh, it's, it's the only thing to me about Quinn Snyder that I was like, what the, is the fact that Conley's played so bad. I mean, maybe he's just, maybe Conley's just done. I don't know. Um, but, uh, I, I think he's, I think he's very solid. I think everyone has tended to play better and Utah seems to keep getting better. They haven't quite got over that hump yet of like really looking like they could do something in the playoffs, but feels like they're still young and maybe that's coming. I think like yeah. the with Conley is that he was so underrated for so long that maybe he kind of became a little bit overrated. And the fact like he's not like, you know, he's 32 now and he's had a billion injuries throughout his career. Like maybe he's just kind of lost a step. Like 32 is not young for a point guard, especially yeah. one who's had so many injuries. 
Anyways, and especially one who's like never been like a lights out shooter, so you can just kind of chill in the background doing that either. No. Yeah, I think solid shooter. Solid shooter in his career. I think Gasol and Conley both had a, a you know a, like years of having a system designed around them specifically, and yeah. then kind of like tweaking it and tweaking it and tweaking it. So to like, I think particularly those two guys were were really playing a certain way of basketball the same for you know more than most anyone in the league to be honest like grit and grind uh, i don't know how long it lasted but it's probably like an eight-year thing um and they were the they were the main offense there uh, especially after gay left but i mean like looking at valanciunas's numbers when he stepped into the gasol role like it just ballooned you know uh, totally. because of that system being so designed for a point guard and a center to be the focal points of the offense. For sure. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a great point. Cause jaw too, is just ex- like explosively good. Um, I feel like their system might be a little different this year though. I feel like they've gone away from that system, but it could, yeah, I guess I they're probably, like the system now is just all jaw. <laughs> yeah. The, as soon as jaw did one of those things where he jumps and then makes a decision later, they're probably like, and that's the system. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I think I think I'll say for for Snyder that um, he's he's really impressed me, and I think just he hasn't made those kind of like those major leaps. Like I think the player development is as good as anyone in the league. The Jazz are like a just a ridiculously good team for that, and um, I totally agree with Hay. The Hayward thing is a great point. I think the playoffs have I found a little bit disappointing. Probably the most disappointed I was is when, you know, I, I like when people try wild stuff. I like how they guarded Harden from behind. But I think that to stick with that for the whole time is kind of a surrender of sorts that I don't like as a coach. I think it's yeah, a I mixture. I mean, you know, Nurse would mix it up like crazy, you know, as opposed yeah. to like having something like that. He Like, you know, keep them exactly. on their toes. You know, once they figured it out, you got to switch to something else. Totally. And like Nurse, you know, we tried that game in the regular season this year against Houston. It was wacky. They beat us and they figured it out. But I don't think, I, I can't see Nurse being like, okay, game two, let's do it again. Like, I, I don't think that's going to go down with, with, uh, with nurse, um, but yes, yeah, you know, sticking with Snyder again, they're probably just a couple made shots away from advancing here and there. So um, he's one of these coaches that's on the bubble and just needs some some playoff success, like a couple big series wins, and I think he'd he'd be looked at very differently. But uh, yeah, anyone else got anything on Snyder before we move move to uh, Coach Twelve? Um. No, I think like, you know, other than the fact that I would probably cast him as any character in Wolf of Wall Street. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He's like, in if there's a Wolf of Wall Street sequel, like the bull statue outside of Wall Street would be Snyder. <laughs> and people would go up to him like, wow, he's thinking hard, eh? Um, <laughs> and giving a Shryukin to the actual bull that used to be there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, um, Maddie, uh, why don't you give me that sting for number 12? 28.6 out of 40, we have uh, the very long tenured and experienced Nate McMillan. Uh, I don't know who, who wants to lead on this one first, but um, I found Nate's, I found a lot of kind of surprising facts about him as a coach. Like, 
you know, he like I didn't realize he was the head coach of Seattle for four years. Um, yeah. And so, so, so this guy has got, and he's got a really high winning percentage um, for, for someone who hasn't had major super duper stars. He also is playoff records. Not that bad. Um, his playoff think, records. Not that bad, dude. Oh, maybe I'm he's looking at Sorry. He, he's got, uh, I think one playoff win in 11 or 12 seasons. Like one round win. Like he's only won one round. And oh, is that sorry, is it? I, I got a phone call halfway through that. Sorry. Uh, no, no, I I off round one in, in twelve years. Uh, I thought that was Nate McMillan calling you to be like, dude, like I'm not actually that bad. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I mean, fifteen years, one playoff round win. Yeah, I guess I I, I was more so looking at it's like you know seventeen wins, thirty two losses, which obviously you know you're losing more games, uh, double the games you're winning. But I, I I was more so looking at the Indiana, Portland, and Seattle squads he had as like you know those teams are all kind of like first round fodder teams for right. the most part. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean. I think he probably got a lot of points from all of us for, as far as like development and kind of like respect and, and, and that sort of thing. But um, Kevin, I'll go to you. Where are you at with, uh, with the Nate McMillan? Yeah, I think that's pretty much it, right? Like he's, he's developed a bunch of teams that have made people be like, Oh yeah, this team's great. And then lost in the first round. Um, a lot of playoff losses, a lot of, like when I think about Nate McMillan, I don't think about him as like ever coaching a team that I thought would go all the way, except for maybe early on. Um, and I think that's because of the the constant like just not quite making it, and maybe some right. luck is there because he hasn't had those like he hasn't had those star laden teams. But I mean, yeah, just some of his teams, you feel like oh, you should have. You should have done more. This was like more of a team going into the playoffs. And in, in all fairness, I might be coming off uh, with a bit of recency bias because, like, I thought that when he took that Cleveland team to seven games, I thought he kind of set up the blueprint that Dwayne Casey didn't use, but Stevens did use in that conference finals um, to stop LeBron in like an all-out scenario, like Cleveland, like with kind of just like LeBron plus shooters. I thought that he kind of was like if he had slightly better players, he would have beat Cleveland. Like he, I thought he outcoached the crap out of William, uh, William Lou, um, out of uh, Tyron Lou there. But you know, again, 1732 kind of is what it is, but sorry, I feel like I cut you off Kev. Uh, no, I think that's pretty much, that's pretty much all I would have to say about him. You know, he's had some very good teams, you know, um, but he's also coached a lot of near 500 teams that lose in the first round. Yeah. I think he's okay, but I don't think he's like. Uh, I, I just find his playoff uh, record to be a little concerning. Um, but you, you actually uh, had him. You had thirty-one out of forty. So, like, for you, is it just kind of like he's like what, what? 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 What do you like the most about McMillan? I guess. I think he's a good, great floor raiser. Maybe the playoffs have little less to do with him, and it's just a series of teams that were just outgunned. Um, at mm-hmm. the same time, he's never. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's able to out uh, strategy. Uh, you know. Um, um, other teams, but uh, yeah, I thought he was pretty good. In terms of weird facts about him, uh, during his NBA career, he ruptured his right Achilles tendon 
but not as a player, but rather as a coach. Oh my God! While really? Scrimmaging with the Trailblazers during practice. Yep. Oh, I was He's like also, so. Sorry. Sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I was nope. just gonna say. I I was hoping you were gonna say that like. Like it was like wow coaching. Like he like he basically like 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 went and gave a timeout and tore his Achilles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He kicked a chair and tore his Achilles. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, uh, nothing too much to to joke about. It's obviously a devastating injury, but it was uh, over ten years ago. So I feel like now it's all. Probably all right. Um. Uh, yep. That's all I gotta say about him. If he oh if he if I had to cast him on something, he would also be on the submarine with Quinn Snyder. Uh, he would bring some good, solid facts to the general about what they need to do in the system. Uh, the general would uh, hit his clipboard out of Nate McMillan's hand and say, I'm the one in charge. And as a result, the submarine would sink. Wow. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, Kevin, did, wait, did, did I hit you up for Nate McMillan? Yeah. We All did. right. Well, let's, let's rock, baby. Um, okay. Well, n- number 11, uh, Duncan, would you hit me with it? Number 11 is Michael Malone, head coach of the Denver Nuggets, coming in at 29.2 out of 40. Love this guy. Michael Malone, um, you know, he coached the Sacramento Kings. Uh, Boogie Cousins loved him. Sacramento is is truly a, a constant tire fire, so they let Malone go. Uh, and then he promptly went to coach the Nuggets and I think has done a very, very good job with the Nuggets. Um, what docked him a couple points for me, uh, again, we're, we're getting into the, everybody's very good territory, but uh, just hasn't gone far enough. Um, I don't really think he got super outcoached by Terry Stotts. Like they lost in seven games and the Nuggets beat the Spurs in seven games. Maybe they could have done away with them a bit quicker. Um, But I was actually really looking forward to seeing how the Nuggets did this year. I wasn't really on board with what I feel is a popular opinion that they don't have what it takes in the playoffs. I think the Nuggets were actually kind of quite primed for an upset this year. They were, I think they were going to upset a team like one of the LA's maybe. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah. Um, I'll start with you, Kevin. Where where are you at with uh, Mike Malone? Yeah, I love Mike Malone. He was the one coach where like he got fired in Sacramento after 20 games in his second season, and like they were 11 and 13. But I remember vaguely that season there would be there were definitely reasons for that record. Like I think Boogie was early, right away. super hot. Yeah, they started off super hot, and then Boogie got hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And it was one of those things where it's like, wow, when Boogie comes back, they're going to be a male. Boogie's, oh, okay, he's fired. Okay. Sure thing, Sacramento, you do you. Um, yeah. Um, and I agree. I think I think that Denver is, like, they looked good last year. They look good this year. I get it that they haven't done it yet, but I feel like Denver is getting a real Toronto treatment um, mm-hmm. where, like, you know, it's they're just getting a bit overlooked. Like, I've only watched them maybe twice this year, and both times I was like, oh, wow, they're – very good and i just don't watch them because they're on the west and they're not usually a major market team so i don't see them covered as much and yeah i think that's i think that's what they're suffering from um mccready what, what do you think about uh michael malone uh i love him think think that those denver teams have generally overachieved 
I think if Jamal Murray was a 40% three-point shooter, like we kind of all hoped and thought he would be, as opposed to like a 34% three-point shooter, mm-hmm. they would uh, maybe be even better than the, who they are. Um, I think he's great at developing players. I think his players play hard for him. Um, I think he plays Mason Plumley a little bit too much, although maybe not as much this year. I actually haven't looked into how much the Plum Dog is playing. Um, but, uh, yep, that's all I got to say about him. Pretty good. Michael Malone, pretty good. Uh, let's move on to the top 10. Uh, Maddie, would you give me that uh, same sting you've been giving me? Uh, okay, so coming in, uh, number 10, 29.8. Uh, after him, the rest of the coaches are uh, 30 or higher. Uh, this is a, it's a, it's a, it's a fun guy because he's... Um, He's arguably our most tenured coach. No, no, he's, he's close, though. But uh, Terry Stotts. Uh, so he's coached uh, two, two seasons with the uh, Atlanta Hawks, uh, 2002 through 2004. Um, he also coached the Bucks from uh, 05, 06, and 06, 07. And he's been coaching the Portland Trailblazers uh, since 2012. Uh, he has a lot of assistant ex- experience, but again, we're not really ranking all that kind of experience. So, um, McCready, I'll go with you first. What, what do you think about Terry Stotts? Um, he is cast as a pastor who is also secretly a vampire. Uh, Terry <laughs> oh Stott- my God, that's a good one. <laughs> Uh, Terry Stotts uh, has been around, you know, I, I mean, he seems like he usually overachieves with his teams. Like Portland won 53 games last year. Uh, with a team that wasn't like super great and made the conference finals. This year has been a bit of a disaster, but they also didn't have any forwards on the team. Um, so losing a player like Zach Collins was absolutely devastating for a team. And think about like Zach Collins being the linchpin of your se- season. You probably aren't going to really do too much. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, to look at the Casey comparisons, he's been swept twice. Um, he's lost in five twice. Um, one time, like, I mean, one of the times he lost in five, uh, you know, Portland won, uh, 51 games. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like he's, uh, uh, I feel like he, he, he runs good stuff. Like his, his offense is, is really highly titled by people. And I'm generally a pretty big fan. It was hired as a Raptors coach. I wouldn't be over the moon. I'd be like, maybe this guy's a little bit too old school for the new NBA, but at the same time, maybe that would be an unfair critique of him. And I think he's pretty great. That's all. Yeah, he seems. And I'll go to you in a sec, Kevin. But he seems to be that perfect, you know, almost like buffer between like this is a really good coach, and like anything beyond Terry Stotts is like you're great. Like this is we're, we're like I think after Terry Stotts, we're getting into all great coaches. Whereas I think Terry Stotts is like really good, maybe not great. Um, but like, you'd be pretty happy, you know, he's like, again, we have him as number 10, right? Um, Kevin, well, what do you think about Terry Stotts? Yeah, I think he is. He's exactly on that border. And I think a bit of that might be luck. I think he was, he's been the victim in some playoffs of some bad injury luck and some bad luck of just being in the Western conference, which is insane. Um, you know, yeah, like his, his sweep by the Warriors last year. It's like, that's one of those sweeps that. Yes, it's a sweep, but anyone who watched those games, like Portland was up. There was a lot of there was a lot of competition in those games. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, he's been he's been in the second round twice, been in the conference finals. Like that's a that's a good coach. That's a good solid coach. And I I would I would welcome him on our uh, as our coach. Um, not as 
not as happy. Like if we'd gone from Casey to Terry Stotts, I would have been like, cool. Um, you know, when we made that switch, that would have been fine by me. Um, I don't know if I would say that more than Nick Nurse or anything like that, but, uh, yeah, I think he's, he's very solid. Tip of that. Um, solid, solid stats. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's go to number nine. We're, uh, we're 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 getting there. We're getting with the the sick coaches now. Um, uh, Maddie, if you would, would you give me that sting? Everybody knows I love this guy. Uh, I can't stop praising him. Um, he's the best coach that's ever lived, even though he comes in at number nine in our list. And uh, I think the height of this coach is um, when someone from the ringer said, would you rather have Giannis Antetokounmpo or Brad Stevens? Which that was probably the moment that my eyes started tweaking the most. And uh, I think I've really had, it's been a journey. It's been a journey for me to not hate Brad Stevens, but he, he's a fantastic coach. Obviously he, um, you know, he's, uh, his play calling is fantastic. Players love him. They seem to really play for him. Uh, I think um, success maybe is, uh, is, is why he's not higher on this list. Uh, he's had some very good teams. And I think, um, you know, underachieve is maybe a bit of a push. But I think he hasn't, he hasn't done what the coaches ahead of him have done, which is like something special. Um, with what he's been given. I think he's he's put together a lot of very good, very competitive teams and perhaps not great teams. Uh, but everyone knows how I feel about Stevens, so I'll chill for a sec. Um, Kevin, what's up? Talk to me about Brad Stevens. Yeah, I mean, like, you got to wonder if Michael Jordan's career would have looked different uh, if Stevens had been coaching against him and he never like won even around in the playoffs because yeah, Stevens totally. him every year. Ha. Um, By the way, you I, had him the lowest. You had him at 27. I'm have, I have him at 30 and uh, McCready has him at 33. Yeah. 27 is way too low. Um, but you know, I was, I was doing other stuff while I was filling out these farms. I'm sorry, Freddie. We also <laughs> put them out in alphabetical order and Kevin, I've noticed a couple of times that you've given like Atlanta and Boston. Like, I don't know what I was thinking with these uh, scores. So maybe you were just kind of figuring out what your uh, very possible. I did not go back to edit. <laughs> uh, I blame my own Google forms. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he like he's, he seems to be great. He seems it's so hard to like sort out how I feel about it because I've got that anti-Boston sentiment, even though like, mm -hmm. I'm sorry to say it, this Boston team is like fun as hell to watch. Yeah, um, sure. And you know, he like, he seems like he really gets people to play for him. Um, his biggest hiccup arguably might've <laughs> been the year Kyrie was fully healthy, which, you know, is maybe an interesting discussion about, about that. Um, he seems to to get a good synergy going, you know, more than more than the sum of their parts seems to happen a lot. Um, hasn't figured out what to do with Hayward or maybe Hayward's just never quite fully recovered. Um, but yeah, you got to give him respect. So I, I'm, I'm dreading the day the Celtics actually like go somewhere in the playoffs with him. Uh, I guess conference finals is going somewhere, but. Um, but he hasn't, I don't know. He, he hasn't quite the like, conference finals twice, two years in a row, you know? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think, I think my bias is showing that I can't quite get over the hump for just embracing this guy. Yeah, no, um, uh, sorry. You, you, you go first, McCready. I'm going to add a point. 
I am actually shocked that he was ranked this low on this list, to be honest. I'll have to see who's above him. Maybe I'll agree with it once the names come in. But, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of those teams that he had in Boston at the beginning were not expected to do anything. Um, and they really overachieved. Um, that's the year, two years ago, he was like one or two possessions away to making the NBA finals where their best player was like, I don't know, like rookie Jason Tatum, maybe, you know, like Marcus smart would maybe be in contention for their best player. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he, I I would uh, say Horford, but. Oh yeah, you're right. Never mind, Horford. But but well, but, you know, but look, look how Horford's done since he's left. Look how well um, uh, so many players do after they leave Boston. They suck. Like um, Aaron Baines. <laughs> Aaron Baines is a terrible example. But uh, you know, look at uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Forward uh, just got traded to Memphis or to Miami. Uh, Jay Crowder. Look at Jay Crowder after he left. You know. Um, he takes players that have major flaws and is able to do something with them. I think he, he really make gets the best out of his players uh, with the exception of Kyrie. But I feel like Kyrie, um, you know, no matter where he is on this flat earth of ours, he wouldn't be having a great season. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, if you had to uh, cast Brad Stevens at anything, it would obviously be the lead character in a uh, Bill Simmons biopic. Oh my God! Oh, yes, wow. that's yeah. wonderful. Thank you, McCready. Um, uh, one last thing, he sure. was—I don't know what this is—but he was the Skip Prosser Man of the Year Award finalist in 2010. Hmm. He was. Oh, oh, sorry. You're saying you don't even know what the award is? I have no idea what the award is, but he was a finalist for the Skip Prosser Man of the Year Award in 2010. I hope Skip Prosser was a good man. He was um, not. <laughs> But yeah, just like, you know, again, everyone knows my, my, my over the top, uh, Stevens hate, but, um, I think he definitely has more things going uh, quite a bit more going for him than he has going against. Um, and you know, some of those early Boston teams, even though they were in the East, it's still like, you know, it's still, it's still pretty impressive to, to put together a good squad. Like it was kind of like, like, it's almost like, I feel like him and Clifford, had a similar beginning and then Brad kind of kept going further with his teams. And I mean, I will, I will always say, I think I probably docked him a couple points because of just how fortunate of a situation he's been in the whole time, as far as like just getting superstar after superstar uh, draft pick. But again, you you have to do deal with what you have in front of you. And uh, he's only for me, a couple, you know, like more successful in the playoffs away from being like a, super duper top tier coach. Like he's 27 and 29. That's quite good. He got swept once in the playoffs, but like Matt said, back-to-back conference finals is, is nothing to sneeze at. And those rosters were not stacked. So I think it's pretty impressive to look at a superstar after superstar draft pick. I mean, like those picks weren't that much higher than all the picks that the uh, bulls have used in recent years. And like, totally like what they've done with that. Like, like how would Jalen Brown look if he had Jim Boylan for his coach for the first three years? Would he be doing much? I don't know. No, I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously like it's, it's, it's always player and, or sorry, it's always player coach GM. It's like a, it's a magical mixture. Right. And he definitely, all of those guys like that have come through his system, like, especially those top picks have, have turned into fantastic players like Brown smart, you know, Brown and smart alone, 
you know, not even including Tatum is, is just crazy impressive. And like, what else yeah. did you get from a guard that can't really shoot at all? Like, I feel like you've gotten the absolute best you could out of what Marcus Smart has as like the tools of a player, you know? Totally. And like, I, I mean, the, the one thing I, I threw in the Aaron Baines reference, because I do think for me anyways, Baines and Rozier are example of guys that are like, they're, they don't have to thank Stevens for everything that they've accomplished in their career because I think they got other things going on. And I think that's the Isaiah Thomas situation was more of a, of a, mis, of an, like a misfortunate situation than like playing good for Stevens or not. And I think the hip injury was really, for me anyways. But I think, I think a big I've thing for Baines is that he had that three-point shot um, in this oh, past yeah. year. I think that's a major reason why he's become such a more valuable player in the past. And you know what? I, we probably should have given Monty Williams a bit more love, man. That Monty Williams magic. Maybe that's what it is. You know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, no. But I, I, I got to slag Stevens on this pod. And I'm happy he's at number nine. And uh, I have a actually, question, though, about um, Brad Stevens. Is that he signed a six-year deal. Um, so I... I and he, he agreed to an... I'm, I'm just wondering like when his salary is up. Um, because I feel like it might be close if it isn't like at the end of this year. Yeah, I don't know. Cause I, I think a big oh, part of never the- mind. He signed a three-year contract extension. I just looked it up and he's done in 2022. So never mind. He's oh, uh, locked up for a few more years. Never mind. Cheers. No, I was just going to say he definitely had that air. Um, kind of like when Hoiberg came into the bulls where it's like, this is the guy they've been wanting to bring in for a long time. And he has mm-hmm. a relationship with everybody here and it's kind of, you know, uh, we'll, we'll get to it, but it feels not dissimilar to us with nurse. Right. It seems like it's like, Oh, this is it for like a long time. Hopefully anyways, but um, okay, let's, let's, let's get moving here with uh, number eight. Uh, Maddie, would you, would you do me a solid and give me that sting for number eight? Okay, I just have to say I'm shocked. I'm absolutely shocked. I think I was trying to be unbiased, but I I, I can't believe that I don't have him higher than Matt. Uh, I got him at uh, 32 out of 40. Uh, Matt's got him at 35 out of 40, and Kevin has him at 31 out of 40. Um, I I will always defend this guy till I'm blue in the face. Mike D'Antoni, Mike D. uh, Changed basketball multiple times. Um, has not won a championship. And then he's obviously got these weird kind of asterisk seasons with the, with the Knicks and with the Lakers. But, um, yeah, I'll just throw to you, McCready. You gave him the highest score. Where are you with, uh, with, with Dan Tony? So this was where, um, this is where, how can I say this? Where your ranking system really helped him. Because when it comes to like, progressions in how NBA basketball is played, I'd put him at the absolute top of the list right. out of any of these coaches. I was like a basketball thinker. Totally. I mean, that Phoenix team went from 21 wins to 62 in one year, adding Nash and wow. uh, instituting his system, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I think, uh, I mean, if you are like, um, if, if you're, if you're a mediocre or not even, if you're a good NBA player and you have the opportunity to sign a one-year deal with Houston uh, or whatever team that Dan Tony is, is, uh, is going with sign with that team. Like he, he puts his uh, star players in a position to succeed more than any other player or any other coach in the league. Um, I think he's, I think he's, I don't know. I think he's great. I think he, his teams usually do exceedingly well. 
Um, mm-hmm. to, he's had a hundred playoff games and they're at one at, at, uh, a 500, uh, rate and outside of Harden, I don't know if he's had like, I mean, Nash was a superstar for sure. Um, but I mean like he was like those teams easily could have gone to the finals in those years, um, and really pushed these amazing teams to the brink. I don't know. I think he's a great coach. Yeah, me too. And I mean like, you know, one of his biggest criticisms with the, with the Rockets is that they haven't won a championship, but I mean, Again, they tested the Durant Warriors. The full-strength Warriors were brought to seven games by only one team, and that's the Rockets. So uh, that, to me, is an accomplishment, uh, unless everything is championship or bust. But, uh, Kevin, where, where are you at with Mike D'Antoni? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, clearly he's been pulled down by my, by my score here, which is, uh, which is a mistake. Like, there's no way not to spoil who's ahead of him, but there's no way he should be ahead of Budenholzer like in a million years in any world. Um, I feel uh, that sorry. too. Sorry, but... vice, vice versa. Sorry, he shouldn't be, he shouldn't be behind Budenholzer. Um, uh, like, yeah, he changed the game. He changed the game in so many ways. Um, his teams are amazing. And also like, maybe there should have been a score for this one, but like fun as hell to watch. I feel like that's, I feel like he revolutionizes the watching of basketball in a lot of ways. Yeah, hundred percent. And he's um, daring, you know. Yeah, um, his blips I mean, are real. Sorry, go ahead. Um, I mean, to to say, uh, you know, imagine a, a tough situation to walk into. We we're talking about Billy Donovan. Like, um, imagine walking into a season being like, okay, you've got Westbrook and Harden. Figure it out, you know. And he did like, figure Jesus it out. Lord, and he yeah, did figure he did. it out. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I uh, think he's such a he's such a technician. He's such a a wizard of coaching. It's kind of crazy to me that he doesn't have a championship. Um, his blips are really like weird and bad blips. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of them are also insane. Like his team getting suspended against the Spurs because of Robert yeah. Horry, you know? Yeah. Like some yeah, of the blips 100%. are like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, that I don't even, that's not even a blip. That's like, yeah, exactly. That's just madness. Are you talking about LA and New York, Kevin? I'm talking about LA and New York just being, such tire oh, fires. I'm, I apologize. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think so. I did take a like a mild quibble, if I can just be like, just to just to go over to the other side here. Quibble. So I'm not I'm not quite sure that I would equate what he gets out of players to player development. Um, and I think that's where he might have like lost a little bit of score there for me. Like he makes. So you're more like, he's like Thibodeau style. Like he'll, he's like, I can use you, but it's not good for you. I think so. Or not, not even that it's bad for them per se, just that it's like, I'm seeing what you're good at now. And I'm making the system the best it can be to get that out of you. Right. Whereas like, you know, he, he'll, he'll, I think like Pau Gasol and, um, you know, Carmelo Anthony are pretty good examples of guys that D'Antoni was like, do this. And they're like, I can't really. Yeah. And he was like, well, yeah. I don't know what to say. You're supposed to do this. Like, yeah. He definitely seems like he's like, this is, I don't know. He's interesting to me because he's kind of like, he's not Brad Stevens where it's like, I'm all system. The system works. Trust the system. Yeah. Because he's a bit more like, I'm all system, but also I design that system around the best players. Like I yes. think. Boston's eventual championship or whatever is going to be a system designed around Tatum. 
Yeah. As opposed to like ISO ball where people take turns. Like totally. And, and, and it's weird to say that cause that D'Antoni is ISO ball kind of, but it's a very specific stylized ISO ball, I think. Yeah. Well, and he's so adaptive because halfway through the season, he's like, you know what, actually Westbrook, you're sort of pretty much the center now. And it's yeah, like, totally. just change, like just changing Westbrook's game, but not really changing his game. Just being like, you're really good at this. You're really good at this. Just do that. Okay, Kevin, you you foreshadowed, but I think we should probably hit up uh, coach number seven here. Uh, Mm -hmm. Duncan, would you give me that sting? Bud, coming in at 33, Mike Budenholzer, coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, disciple of uh, Greg Popovich. Uh, Obviously, he coached that uh, ridiculous Hawks team that notoriously... um, Got smoked by the Cavs. Obviously, they were devastated with injuries, um, which you know usually isn't really talked about uh, there. But um, you know, then again, you have uh, Milwaukee out of control this year. They were out of control last year. They were just they swept the first round. They smashed Boston in five games rather easily, and then they came to us and things were trucking along and they hit a brick wall. And Budenholzer couldn't adjust, which so much people have made made a ton of. But I feel like I'm gonna. I want to start with you, McCready, because I feel like perhaps you have the most favorable view of Budenholzer. You have him with a 36 out of 40. So uh, yeah, talk to me. Um, I feel like he gets too much of a bad rap for this. Uh, bad rap is a not a pun that was intended um, for how he, they played against the Raptors last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree that series. I know like, it's like, you know, we won four to two, you know? So it sounds like we handled them quite easily, but that series was so, so close to being three Oh, and then, yes. I don't know. Could they have come back from three Oh possibly, but that would have been tough. We've seen obviously Dwayne Casey before teams kind of fold a little bit once they're in that situation. Um, I'm not saying this team would have I'm just saying it's a possibility. Uh, that being said, was he outcoached by uh, Nick nurse? Yes. Yes, he was. Uh, would the Raptors have won that series if Fred Van Vliet didn't shoot 70% from three? Um, probably not. Um, right. You know, like there, it, it, there's a high variance in the NBA these these days. And I feel like if, if that Milwaukee team went up against that banged up Golden State team, um, assuming that Clay Thompson would all, at the same time uh, tear his ACL trying to draw a bullshit um, three-point foul, uh, then uh, they, they probably would have won the championship last year and we'd be looking at that guy completely differently. Um, and so I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt in that regard. I think when he came into uh, this, to both the Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee Bucks, he took teams that were completely flawed and made them play exceedingly well during the regular season. And as a result, him not doing so great in the playoffs seemed like more of a disappointment than it would have otherwise. I honestly, they, I think you summarized it like perfectly. And, and just to add to your point, as far as like taking a team to a certain place, you know, I think a counter argument might be that, well, you know, he came, came into a situation where Giannis was about to become the MVP, but it's like anyone who's really looking for the, you know, the, the, uh, whatever the, the nuance and the details of basketball, it's like, he did so much more with that team than Jason Kidd was doing. And it's not even close. And yes, Giannis was emerging, but I think he helped Giannis become an MVP with that system. Um, I 100% agree. I mean, like, I mean, look, if you want to, if you, if you think that Giannis is foolproof as a player, look at what the Greek national team did with him. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great yeah, point. A, That's a great point. Thought. Um, yeah. And, Mine, and, and yeah, sorry, go, was, go ahead, Kevin. I was going to say, I think my score was weird for this one, but I actually agree with all of your points. I think that he hasn't, he hasn't like quote unquote done it yet. Um, By the way, you, yeah. you gave him 33 out of 40. I gave him 29 out of 40 and, okay. and McCready gave him 36. I don't know oh. why I gave him 29. I think, I think, I, I okay. Know. I think this Sorry. is actually one that I went back to edit. Cause I think I had given him 28 and I was like, that's not right. So maybe this is one that I actually did change. And I was, I was giving myself flack for, for the pre-change score. I guess this is why we have him higher than Dan Tony. There you go. Um, but, me, uh, me alone. <laughs> ha. Um, but, but I mean, I, at the same time, like, I, I don't know if he's necessarily a better coach than dead Tony either, but you know, I'm, yeah, it is what it is. But wait, uh, Kevin, what, what were you saying though about Budenholzer? Um, I don't remember, but I pretty much agree with everything you guys say. Fair enough. <laughs> um, um, and if he was going to get cast as someone, if you were doing, uh, again, a biopic, um, of the middle ages of Louis Anderson's life, you just pluck in Mike Budenholzer and you do great. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I, I was going to say that. like. If if you know if you redid the movie Catch Me If You Can, he'd be like one of the like pilots that just gets clowned very easily by Leo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like great. he's that not even a part one. of the story. It's just like wow, that guy's an idiot. Um, okay, sweet. Uh, all right, num- number six. Oh my God, we're we're get- we're really getting there. Um, Maddie, would you give me that beautiful sting? Okay, this guy is uh, super interesting, has uh, a long career, um, and uh, I think the thing that stood out to me the most upon review is just how good he is in the playoffs. This guy can coach a hell out of a team in the playoffs, uh, and um, his name is Doc Rivers. Uh, He came in at 34.2 out of 40. Um, Kevin, let me go to you first. Uh, uh, oh, Oh, by the way, I should just say, Doc Rivers and Terry Stotts, I believe, are the only coaches that we all agreed on. So we all gave Doc Rivers 33 out of uh, out of 40, and and he's actually 34.2 because he he got a couple 40s from other people. But um, wow. yeah, so so t- talk to me about Doc Rivers, Kevin. Yeah, I mean the only the only points that I would take off of him, I would say, are from some of his uh, post championship Boston days, where it was just like. It, he, he was he was vibing as like a bit too old fashioned for me and not changing with not changing with you know the league and the style of of the league and then that sort of like continued in LA for a bit because he had such a big team and he was just running you know such a such a traditional offense with those teams and maybe not maximizing Blake Griffin's talents as much as he could but then that all started to change and now he's proven like very adaptive across a different bunch of scenarios and i think that's the thing that you said for he just ends up winning in the playoffs a lot because he i think he does have if not that system style strategy at least the like just one-to-one gamesmanship strategy i think i think he adapts in the process and he tries to figure out what he needs to do to win those games like as it goes on um there was a while where i was like oh is he just mark jackson but i think he's like surpassed that now yeah, and I think like you know he's lost a lot in the playoffs too. He's eighty four and eighty three, but I think what impresses me the most is that you know not all those teams are good. Yeah. So he managed to get a bunch of wins with like less good teams, and uh, 
and then you know like some he, he made it to an eastern conference uh and and he's also made it to to two finals and and in one ring so it's a it's pretty impressive and obviously he's having a huge year with the clippers and i think he had a pretty big challenge on his hand with the clippers this year as far as like all of the pieces that needed to come together and it seemed like they were vibing at exactly the right time um mccready what do you got to say about doc um, yeah, I think this might be a little too high for Doc for my liking, but, um, you know, I don't think it's a terrible score at all. I think he's, uh, I, I think he's one of the best, um, at working with, uh, superstars. Uh, clearly he's able to get a locker room on the same page. I mean, talk about toxic locker rooms, fucking Chris Paul and Blake Griffin in the same one and Deandre Jordan, you know, you got some real kind of maybe problems there. Um, but they always seem to do uh, relatively well. At the same time, you can look at the Clippers, um, you know, the Showtime Clippers, um, as a bit of a disappointment as a team in general. Um, at the same time, the way that he picked up the slack and the uh, Donald Sterling fiasco, I think, gets him a few extra points here and also yeah. um, gains him a lot of um, stock in terms of uh, how the players in the league undoubtedly look at him as well. Uh, so, and it, who knows where they would have gone as a team if they didn't come all around at the same time as the Warriors. So uh, with all that being said, um, good job, Doc. And uh, good Doc job, Rivers, Doc. unfortunately, to me, is so himself every single time I see him. Like, I find him to be such a personable person, a great guy. Like, just uh, he can only play himself. So he plays himself in the uh, Space Jam remake as Doc Rivers, um, and he gets his coaching style stolen by an alien. Oh, I like that a lot. Um, okay, let's uh, let's let's hit up number number five here. Um, sorry, we've done so much of this that I'm, I'm forgetting sometimes. Kevin, I I, I let you uh, have a pass at Doc Rivers, right? Yes, you did. All right. Sorry, cool. my mic cut out there. I'm good. It did, but you're back in, baby. Um, all right, uh, Maddie, would you give us a sting for number five? Rick Carlisle coming in at 35 out of 40. Uh, we all gave him very good scores. Um, yeah, I guess I guess I'll start. I think Rick Carlisle is is a good example of someone who, you know, had a special relationship with a superstar in Dirk Nowitzki, and I think also had okay management. But there was times when Dallas and Mark Cuban made some pretty big mistakes. Uh, obviously there's the, uh, you know, DeAndre Jordan mishap. There's the, uh, you know, like signing of Rondo. Like I think Carlisle hasn't always had the best scenario and, and, and he's generally made the best of best of the opportunities he's been given. And obviously that championship run is super special. And I think he's someone who's set to rise up this rankings, um, as he has a you know a phenom in Doncic who's twenty years old who he already has a you know a fantastic relationship with so if Dallas can kind of keep that going with Doncic I could see Carlisle you know working his way more more into like pop territory if he has a lot of success with uh, with Doncic but um, yeah I'll, I'll go to you first uh, McCready what do you think about Carlisle I love Carlisle. Um, Carlisle has taken these teams that seem kind of strange and not necessarily the most uh, offensive juggernaut type of teams in the league and made them literally the best offensive team in the entire league. Um, going back to his day, uh, going back to that 
pre-trade, right before they traded for Rajon Rondo, they had the best offense in the league with like their center being like Brandon Wright, like Jay Crowder was on the floor. Like they were, it was like a wacky team that he he made the best offensive team in basketball. Sure, they traded mm-hmm. a lot of those pieces away to get Rondo, which uh, completely sabotaged their entire season. Uh, but again, he's doing it um, with like you know, uh, is there any better team for a young player to come? Any better coach for a young player to come to like Luka Doncic than um, uh, Rick Carlisle? I don't know. He's able to. Like, look at J.J. Barrera, who was a second-round pick. that had some good stuff with the uh, national team of, is it Puerto Rico? I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, he plays for Puerto Rico, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, some success there, some success in college, but not considered a prospect at all in the NBA. Comes into uh, Dallas, uh, crushes it, good six-man, gets signed to a big contract by Minnesota, tanks in Minnesota, looks like his career is over, comes back to Dallas and continues to go basically right back to where it was before because he had, went back to a coach who knew how to use him. Uh, Berea, under six foot, old point guard, tears his uh, Achilles, still comes back next year uh, to play in the NBA, which is absolutely mind-boggling. I uh, love Carlisle. I think he knows how to take good players and make them great, and I think he's able to get um, flawed players to play above their uh, pay grade. Nailed it. Uh, Kevin, what, what do you got on uh, Carlisle? Yeah, I mean, what is, what's there to add? I think you said it perfectly. He is He's proven himself to be like a system guy, a player's guy. Um, he gets the best out of people. I'm so stoked to watch Don Fitch develop. Um, I think, I think that Carlisle even said this year, he's like, after his rookie season, I realized I just got to like let Don Fitch go because he's so creative. And I think it takes a lot for, you know, maybe an older, an older head coach to, to look at his rookie and be like, you know, what? I'm going to get out of your way. I think that's like a real coaching skill when it comes down to it. Yes. Good point. Yeah, I remember uh, Popovich had to do that a lot with um, with Matt Manu Ginobili. Yeah, totally. Um, um, I would cast you- Carlisle as a uh, shop teacher to a band of nerdy kids, but he believes in them, even though they don't exactly prescribe to the same jive. Oh yeah, that's and, pretty like, amazing. Yeah, yeah you, you have anything to, Do you have anything to add about uh, Carlisle? Uh, no, let's move on. Let me just say. Just because Carlisle gave, I have a look inspiration. He is a an aged Ferris Bueller. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like in his fifties. So he's like, I never should have took that day off. Um, <laughs> I really feel bad about wrecking my friend's dad's car. Yeah, man, that was crazy. That was a wild kid. Yeah, um, Bueller should have known better. That was a bit ridiculous. Some of the stuff he did. Pretty like, uh, yeah, disrespectful at some points. Bad friend. Totally privilege. Um, okay, let's uh, let's move on to number four. Um, Maddie, would you give me that gosh darn sting? Uh, okay, uh, this is a 37 out of 40. So we're in like rare, like all these coaches are like out of control, good coaches. Um, Steve Kerr, uh, I'll throw to you right away, Kevin. Uh, what do you think about Steve Kerr? Okay, so, I mean, there was a bit of talk earlier about how Steve Kerr, like, just inherited a very good situation, mm-hmm. um, which is definitely true. You look at the Warriors and who they had, and they were ready to go. But the level and degree to which he took them from, like, oh, this is, like, yeah, this team could, like, maybe win the finals or go to the finals or something to, like, this is the best team of all time, that yeah. level of upgrade is just astounding. And how quickly and suddenly it happened Um it was it was crazy. Like we definitely all had the vibe of like, oh, maybe Mark Jackson didn't quite maximize this. 
but I don't think anyone predicted they would be 73 wins. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I was kind of thinking, so I, I, I went 38 on this and both you two went 37. So we're basically in the ballpark. Um, but for me, I think I tr- I wanted to take off more points for this season. Um, but kind of to your point, Kevin, like they just pushed the envelope so hard that the main conversation around the NBA for two years was that the league's broken and it's not fair. And in fact, the league was never broken. And that's just the brilliance of what the Warriors did and what Kerr did. Uh, the league wasn't broken at all. And we're seeing now that, you know, we were one Golden State loss away from parity again. So I think that what, what he built, we'll, I'm sure we'll see again at some point because, you know, it's always silly to think you saw the best thing. But I really do think we're a very long way, long time away from any team that scratches the surface of what the Warriors were doing, led by Steve Kerr. But uh, uh, McCready, what are you, what are you feeling about uh, Steve Kerr? Steve Kerr, you guys kind of nailed a lot of it. Um, yeah, I mean, if you have a team that you feel like um, has good personalities, uh, I feel like he'd be an excellent choice as your coach. Um, if you were, um, casting the new Grown Ups 3 movie <laughs> and you needed a character called Mr. Rowboat and things would be happening in a non sequitur where a guy would row up on a rowboat and scream, <laughs> Hey guys, um, that would be a perfect casting for Steve Kerr. Uh, Adam Saylor would probably yell at him to get lost. Um, oh, I like so, that a lot. Um, yeah, I, like Steve I mean, Kerr I has like some Fred Willard energy. He does. Yeah. Yeah. Fred Willard is a great, great uh, entertainment uh, doppelganger for Steve Kerr for sure. Um, I feel bad for his back. Um, that's all. Yeah, uh, we've made it. We've made it to the top three coaches in 2020. Um, Maddie, would you give me that sound effect for number three? Okay, so uh, I'll be fully transparent with this coach. I think that in a year or two, depending on how things go, it could be like, yes, of course, this guy's the best coach in the NBA. Um, And I think it's kind of like, I think he's the best coach, but I couldn't put him ahead of the two guys who are ahead of him. But uh, it's Eric Spolstra. Uh, He's he's, uh, 37.2 out of uh, 40. I think that he's proven that he can take teams to extraordinary lengths. Uh, you know, I think similar to the Golden State Warriors, those Miami te- Miami Heat teams, uh, you know, they weren't as successful as the Warriors, but I think uh, they were they were looked at as unfair. Um, they, you know, and uh, again, the LeBron's in the mix there, but I think what we have with Spolster that we don't have with some of LeBron's other coaches is we have lots of sample sizes with without. Um, you know, without uh, LeBron. And I think he coached a lot of really good teams. He's also made a bunch of teams overachieve. And Miami's development is is right up there with the Raptors, Jazz, and uh, Spurs as as the, the best development in the NBA. So, yeah, I, th- I think Spo, there's, there's almost nothing wrong with him. But um, I'll go to you first, McCready. How, how do you feel about uh, Spolstra? How did you rank him? I think that Eric Spolstra is the coach that most takes advantage of the, that most benefits 
by the ranking system that you put out for us. Okay. Um, I think in uh, four, five, in the seven years where he played without LeBron James, he has one playoff round win. Um, and that's a pretty huge sample size at this point. Um, I think maybe those Heat teams, they did make it to the finals those two years um, that they lost. Um, you would argue that that team probably should have won three times at least, you know, like that team was just so outrageously packed full of um, amazing players. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if he thought had the foresight to put Bosch as center throughout most of that run, it would have been a lot easier for them. Um, I think he could have handled that in certain uh, aspects of the playoffs. I'm wondering if he has that forward thinking um, uh, mindset that truly denotes the best coaches on the, on this list. Um, I think those Miami teams afterwards, like some of them had some pretty decent talent, that team with, uh, you know, Drogic, um, uh, Whiteside back when the league was more tailored to his strengths. I think those teams had some real talent and, uh, you know, that one team that lost to the Raptors, you know, I, that one, if, if he coached a, a better series, maybe they could have uh, won that one. Um, yep. Uh, I think he's overrated on this list and I would probably have him like five spots lower. I think the, uh, the his usage of some players this year have been excellent. I'm not saying he's a bad coach at all. I just don't know if he's actually uh, cream of the crop type of stuff, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and I think you know that, that that's why we're having this podcast because we got to hear some different perspectives, you know. And what's so weird about this ranking system too? Obviously, you know, I can make it better or whatever. But I had him ranked the lowest. You got uh, <laughs> Kevin has 38. You're 36, and I'm 35. Um, but, uh, yeah, where, where are you at with, uh, with Spo, Kevin? I mean, it's just, it's just pretty wild. This guy who is like the video coordinator gets tabbed to be the head coach and everyone, everyone is like, oh, okay, he's the holdover until the stars pick the guy they want. And then he insanely gets these three young in their prime stars to play together unselfishly. Um, a lot of that is Dwayne Wade being willing to be like, you know what, LeBron is better than me, and that's we'll let that happen. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just it's it's really mind-boggling that they were able to pull it off. They were also, you know, they started the mold of this three stars and and role players model. I guess the Boston Celtics had that to a certain degree as well. Um, but the, I think the Miami Heat were the first ones to do it so like explicitly, like we're all going to sign here and do this thing. Um, and I think that level of player stardom, player choice could have overshadowed and overwhelmed this whole thing. And Swolster basically had them playing as a pretty unified team from the get-go. Like They obviously needed to get over a hump to be championship caliber, um, but they were they were ready to go right away. And I think you've seen him do amazing things with lesser teams too, like amazing, you know, relatively. Um, but they, the Heat are always like, I wouldn't want to face them in the playoffs. Is kind of you hear that a lot about them, kind of no matter where they are uh, in the standings. And I think there's a lot of that is coaching. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, he um, did a great job building a culture there. That's for sure. Yeah. Any any lookalikes for you, McCready? Oh, and he looked like for uh, Spolstra. I actually didn't think about it, uh, but Spolstra would be um, okay. So like it's like a, a, a Kevin James type to go back to a. Um, <laughs> I got my mind in, in grownups. Um, and he's James. got he's got this ex wife who's left him for this like very successful guy, and it's played by Eric Spolstra. 
uh, maybe a little little younger Eric Spolstra, and uh, and Kevin James can't. There's nothing wrong with the guy, but Kevin James just hates him. <laughs> okay, well, well, you know what? I'm gonna contribute to this. Like, I don't know if this is a lookalike or just I could see him being this person. But you know when they're like, oh, like you know, like basically every day uh, through this um, virus, uh, they're like, oh, Dow Jones has the worst day ever, and there's like a picture of like papers on the floor and someone like crawling and picking them up. I feel like Spo is that guy. Like you can, it's like it's like oh man, Toronto Stock Exchange has its worst day ever, and it's like just a picture of like all these people holding their like hair, and like one guy's just like basically like staring at a cell phone or like on the ground on his knees. That's Spo. I'm finding the same problem as you when it comes to casting these guys, is that I'm only seeing them in suits, so I'm putting them in a lot in stock markets and um, like teacher roles and oh. uh, office settings. Okay, well let's let's push ourselves for these last two, and we are at the last the last two. Um, I think it's like it's almost ridiculous the way it turns out, but I think again we're going to need a larger sample size for, for things to even out. But uh, Maddie, would you give me the sting for the second best coach in the NBA? All right, so anyone who's not a Raptors fan, I apologize. We'll do our best to explain this. But uh, on this list, our second best coach, uh, not the first best coach, is Greg Popovich. Um, coming in at Oh, three. my God. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. We're a Raptors pod. But, but, no, but yeah, so Greg Popovich is 37.8 out of 40. Um, I guess I'll phrase it like this. Um, I can go – I can remind you of the categories as well. But if you can remember – where did either of you guys not give Popovich like a perfect score? So I'll, I'll, I'll sorry, I'll start with you, Kevin. Where for you is Popovich like anything but perfect? Well, I gave him literally a perfect score, actually. Wait, oh, sorry, did you? Yeah. I might. Oh, I'm an idiot. So so sorry. <laughs> no, no. Matt gave him a perfect score. You give him a 38. Uh. No, I did not give him a perfect score. And yeah, I've been looking at the wrong scores almost this whole time. Cheers. Sick. Really? <laughs> I take all my credit for my uh, – I, I took so much credit earlier for having better scores than, than you two. So, um, Actually, sorry. No, yeah, I got it right. Or, I mean, whatever. It doesn't even matter. Um, Kevin, do you I, know, is there, I, is there I, any- I, If I gave him a perfect score, I did not mean to give him a perfect score. Okay, and if well, I didn't, I fully did mean to give him a perfect score. Well, then how about this? Why don't you explain why, Kev? Yeah, so, so I mean, winning winning seems like a, a straight shot. Like, he's, yeah. he's done the most of that. Um, development, like, you know, got these, he got these late draft picks. You got Manny, you got Tony Parker. I mean, Tim Duncan is obviously a special talent, but he also was part of him becoming one of the greatest players of all time. Um, and then, you know, he, regardless of how it ended, he also coached up Kawhi and was the first one to say Kawhi is a, you know, a star in the making. Um, so I think his, his player development is right there. I think, you know, culture, fame, etc. cetera, uh, 20 years of making the playoffs, like you can't really argue with that. And then in context, you know, I guess maybe that could be where you dock him some points because he was given some amazing teams and amazing, amazing management and amazing support. So maybe that's like, you don't rank him as highly in that context, but I still think you, you got to keep winning. You got to do it. And, and he's just done it forever. McCready, what do you, what do you think about pop? 
First of all, Kevin's wrong. No, I'm just joking. Uh, nothing to say there, Kevin. That was uh, really well said. I think if you look at someone's <laughs> like <laughs> someone's any uh, the the career of anyone on this list, undoubtedly you'd have Popovich number one, and it wouldn't even be fucking close. Um, yeah. Just it's it's unbelievable. I mean, there are a lot of like 61 win years where they lost in the first round. You know, there's a couple of these that you can find in there. But I mean, if you if the thing is, if you're in the playoffs with a great team all the time, there's eventually going to be a time where you have a disappointing year. That's right. Um, that being all that being said, um, I mean, he's he's the best. But at the same time, he's, you know, has he lost a step? You know, um, he's 71 years old. Um, I'm not trying to be ageist here, but that's, you know, um, it's, it's you're getting up there. It's a challenging job. Um, there's been a lot of like good, a lot of people hire great minds out of the Spurs system. So I'm wondering if there's been like a loss of a lot of their talent, um, there. And to be honest, his job with the national team this past year was bad. Um, quite bad, a disaster. And his time with the national team in 2004 was also a disaster. And, uh, so, you know, those are the times where he's taken out of the system that he helped build uh, was very strongly uh, involved in building in San Antonio, but it hasn't necessarily resulted in a lot of uh, success. So I'm wondering, is it, I'm not saying he's not, I'm not saying he's uh, a bad coach or even a below average coach or not even a great coach. I'm just wondering if his days of being like unequivocally the best coach are over. Right. Um, well, I mean, according to this list, yes. But like <laughs> like you said, if it was a career list, it's not close. Um, and then obviously if it's a career list, I think like all sorts of other coaches come in uh, to the mix. But I think what's special about Pop is that, in my opinion anyways, he's better than those other coaches like Phil Jackson and, and like a, lo- a lot of these major, major, super successful coaches. Like he's still better than them. But has he lost the step? I think is where I was uh, on this list. And for me, it's a little bit less around like, you know, what is he able to do with Aldridge and DeRozan right now? And more so about this, this thing I was talking about where the, you know, the special ingredient, like the special sauce of being the best version of a coach is having, you know, being like a superstar whisperer. You have to have a special relationship with your superstar and he tried to, I don't know. I don't know what happened exactly with Kawhi, but it wasn't the same as Tim Duncan and it didn't work and it exploded in his face. And I think for people right away, you know, obviously took the side of the Spurs and they were like, it must be all Kawhi. But I think for then Kawhi to come to a different team and win a championship the next year, it for me anyways, it really kind of solidified this idea of like, okay, Pop's not perfect. He's a human. And maybe Kawhi was an impossible thing for him and he just was never going to work. But part of Pop is that like he does the impossible. The Spurs don't miss the playoffs. You know, he and they also salary dumped Danny Green. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And th- that was a massively bad part of that trade for them. And I, again, by, you know, this is rumored, but he, you know, for all the people who are on the in the camp of Lowry's definitively better than DeRozan, it's like, well, Pop turned him down. Um, and the trade for Lowry was much better because we would have gotten back Pau Gasol. Um, so we, they, the Spurs would have gotten rid of 
you know, more excess weight and gotten a Kyle over a DeMar and they chose not to. Um, so I think that's kind of a, again, you know, it's tough to figure out with Papa, how much is he a GM and that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, uh, I think we're good to move on to this last coach. Uh, we all know who it is, but does anyone have anything else to add with pop? I mean, Oh wait, let's, let's push ourselves here. Uh, McCready, let's start with you. Who is pop? Uh, who's, who's the pop look? Oh, who does Popovich get cast as? Mm-hmm. Um, can you come back to me? Sure, uh, I can lead. In yeah. uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to my sequel, but he is a sequel of um, oh man, I'm forgetting the name of this movie at the worst time. Uh, Nicholas Cage plays uh, twins. Adaptation. adaptation. Oh, uh, adaptation. yeah. So adaptation. Forty years in the future. Same character. It's pop this time. <laughs> um, okay. So, so. Pop's, uh, Pop's got that intensity to him, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're deep into the Spider-Man sequels, right? We're like six into this incarnation of Spider-Man. So we're kind of like running out of things. So they just decided to do like a um, uh, Lex Luthor character, but Kingpin's already died in an earlier one. So they go for the new one. And this, <laughs> this one's played by uh, Greg Popovich. Uh, and he just wants to strangle that Spider-Man all the time. But then luckily he has like robot hands. So he's able to, if he ever gets his hands around Spider-Man's neck, he's done for. That's the tagline. <laughs> That's <laughs> so scary. And I thought he was going to maybe integrate his like love of wine, but no, just wants to strangle Spider-Man. <laughs> Cheers. He, I think that's what like Rhino his- wants to do as well. Right? Like, Rhino wants to run over things. I think that's all right. Yeah, really that's fair. Do. Yeah. Um, but I think Rhino's yeah, pretty clear. Anytime the, the, the thing is about Popovich is he's such a nice guy, but he has these moments where he snaps. So there's lots of scenes where he's talking to a, his guests at a dinner table, describing what the wine is in such beautiful po- pose before turning to a, a picture of Spider-Man on the wall and throwing his wine glass at it. He has the, the picture on the wall just for throwing the glass at Love it over and over. Pop, hey, that's you- me. Pop, you demon of a man. Um, okay, let's. It's totally unfair to a huge uh, supporter of human rights in the in the world. Pop, <laughs> Pop, we love everything you've done for the world, but we have some hilarious remarks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Some would argue they were too long-winded and not even that funny. But go on. I, I enjoyed them. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's wrap this baby up with the with the with the final. The, the the single best coach in the NBA right now, Maddie. Would you give me the sting? Holy guacamole! Coming in at nearly perfect score, um, with a thirty-eight point eight. Uh, we have Nick Nurse of the Toronto Raptors. Um, <laughs> kind of similar to uh, similar to Popovich. I'll, I'll start with uh, McCready. Like, do you? Is, is there anything wrong with Nick Nurse? Well, we can go over all the things that we had wrong with other coaches and see if he checks those box, boxes. Can he work with potentially difficult stars? Yes, Kawhi Leonard last year. Um, can he succeed when adversity hits? Yes, with the team and all the injuries that they've had this year. Yep. Uh, does he think outside the box? Does he think um, uh, futuristically? or um, where, Box and one. Where the game? Yeah, box and one, you know, outside of the box, uh, literally. Um, when you, uh, uh, is he, um, is he, is he well loved by the players? Yes. Um, is he able to call out the players when, uh, they're not doing the right thing and still maintain the respect of the team? Does he do that, that at the right time? Yes. 
uh, I think, uh, does, does he make team, uh, players better? Yes. Does he believe in his people and push them towards success? Yes. Um, is he, uh, you know, what have you done for me lately? Has he had recent success? Only recent success. Um, can he coach in the playoffs? Yes. Can he uh, adapt in the playoff series? Yes. Uh, so I don't really know what the problem is. Um, as we, you mentioned in our group chat, uh, when John Hollinger and um, uh, Nate Duncan did their rankings of coaches, um, they both had him number one on their list as well, um, justifying that this isn't necessarily all uh, Raptor fandom speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Nate Duncan having um, uh, a nurse in a tier all by himself, meaning that uh, the other clo- coaches weren't necessarily close to his decision-making process and, and picking number one. Uh, so, yeah, that's why I think he's number one, and I don't... I can see an argument against it. Sure, if you want to go with, like, the history of Popovich, um, no real argument with me, but at the same time, I don't see any reason not to have him number one as well. Yeah, and, you know, like an MVP ranking or something, it's like, you know, there's been times where LeBron's the best player, but... Other people going to win the MVP because of the season that's happening and, and 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 that sort of thing and like we're judging people off of what they've done so far. So it would even be a big difference if Nurse had lost in the conference finals or lost in the finals, but for him to have like never, he just hasn't met a hurdle that he hasn't like done a backflip over. So I think we have to wait for him to see like some, some humanness. Like I thought he was out coached by Brett Brown in the Sixers series. Uh, I thought the way that um, Brown coached Norm and Fred off of the floor and dictated the, how things worked um, got the best of nurse. But I think that because of Kawhi and because of talent, we were able to make it work. You know, he didn't tether Gasol to Embiid as much as he should have in the first couple games, I don't think, but these are such minor criticisms. And then, for me, I you know start to look outside the NBA. Like he didn't do a good job with Team Canada, whether that was recruiting players or competing in the tournament. But it's Team Canada. Like I can't judge him on that. That's insane. If you look at that um, roster, um, yeah, it's like Melvin Egem. We're we're not we're not judging someone on uh, international player recruitment. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. know, we're judging someone on uh, on uh, their coaching. So. Yeah, no, I mean, I only even like brought that up because like, you know, with the with, with you referencing the, uh, you know, Giannis, if he was easy to coach, you know, why was such a was Greece such a disaster? Totally. But, and I this Giannis is just, was I'm, Canadian. I would have loved to have seen Giannis playing with those, that team and see what nurse I would love to see what nurse could do with Giannis. Oh, me too. Oh, my God. Let us pray. <laughs> But yeah, all, all that to say, I'm just like really scratching at like nothing because I think what we would actually need to judge Nurse properly is like more playoff ex, like exposure and stuff. But uh, totally. Kev, I hope we didn't take away all your points. What's your, yeah. you, got, you got anything on Nurse? No, I mean like we just haven't seen it all yet. And I think that's like good and bad. Um, I think that's personally why I would have ranked like Pop above him. Um, but I think he like in terms of the last two seasons, who's been better? You know what I mean? He's just, it's kind of nuts. And I'm sort of bracing for like some bad part of this to happen, but I'm also mostly just excited to see him as as he becomes like an old man coach, because I feel like the biggest knock I have against him right now is he's like a little too sure of his own smartness, but that's, you need that in, in pro sports period. You just need to be, you know, pathologically confident basically. Um, And it like, 
that's only going to get better on him with more age and experience. I think, I think that it's, I'm very intrigued to see where his career goes. Hell yeah. Cause uh, you know, if the season comes back, we, 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 you know, I want to see them defend his title and, uh, and I hope it does. And um, I think that's it for the pod guys. Great. Uh, this wow. was, it was a true marathon. We split it into two parts. Uh, I think it was a fun thing to do. And, um, I'll, I'll make a better, you know, even better ranking system, uh, for next year. Maybe this is something we can do, uh, in, in 2021. Um, I think it's probably inappropriate to, to do my usual plugging, uh, of yeah, guests no because no one's got a lot. No one's going yeah, yeah. I don't think folks are, um, doing stuff, but, uh, maybe I'll just say, uh, kind of an individual thank you to you both. But, uh, so, so Kev, thanks so much. Um, yeah. Is there anything you want, any parting words for folks? No, not really. Let's all just like take care of each other, reach out to people, you know, and even people you don't know. And like, if you don't like talking on the phone, you should still do it anyway. Cause I think, I think people are going to be the strength of this right now, of this whole weird world world we're living in. And, uh, yeah, I think I think we should just keep reaching out. Right on, um, McCready. Do you want to leave uh, folks with something? You know what? Uh, Kevin said something really nice and legit there, so I'll leave with something stupid. Yes. I would cast. Oh, wow. uh, I would cast Nick Nurse in this oh, yeah. Grown Ups three as well. Um, he's uh, <laughs> David Spade's younger brother, Colonel <laughs> Optimist. He's in a wheelchair, and at one point in the movie. Uh, uh, David Spade pats him on the back, sending him down a flight of stairs in a big comedic moment. Yeah, oh my God, that's wonderful. Well, um, yep. like OJ Duncan. And, uh, yeah, sorry. Go, go ahead, Kevin. Oh, I just said yes because I liked it. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> um, Duncan, I was going to say, uh, yeah. Do you want to uh, let the folks know any uh, any special something? <laughs> any special something um well guys uh you know just uh just kind of what kev said too just we got to take care of each other right now reach out do some facetimes with people you know do the social distancing try not to be on social media too much and uh we're gonna get through this no big deal we're gonna get through it hell yeah and uh i'll just say oh. thanks so much for oh do we lose somebody no nope i'm still here oh fair enough Wait, what did you say then, Kevin? Because I thought I thought I heard it like, oh, oh, that's weird. I just said love it. Oh, fair enough. Okay, well, um, on that note, uh, I was just going to add that uh, um, obviously it's unprecedented times, and uh, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And uh, obviously, we appreciate it. Be kind to your neighbor from a distance, and. Um, and yeah, I, I just advise everyone to intake the news in the, you know, uh, uh, the least stressful uh, and most accurate way possible. And uh, we're all thinking about each other. So once we get out of this, let's remember how important our social networks are. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. All right. Take care, everyone. Hello. Anyone around here speak basketball? There it is. It's the Confederacy of Dunks Basketball Podcast. 